take our text this morning from the book of Luke, chapter 16. We'll read three verses, Luke 16, verses 10 through 13. These are the words of Jesus. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The word mammon in these verses refers to money. You know, God calls us all to be good stewards of everything that he entrusts us with. Sometimes we have this mistaken idea that as humans we own anything. Well, the Word of God sets the record clear on that. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. God owns everything. God owns our lives. He owns our breath. He owns our very heartbeat. He holds it in his hands. The Lord owns our jobs and our homes, our families. The only thing that we have that is exclusively ours is because God allows it to be is our will. So we have the right to choose who we will serve, but truly God does own everything. And that list of everything includes our finances, or what we like to call our money. Well, it's God's money. He lets us play around with it, but it's his money. And you know, the Lord considers financial stewardship of a vital importance. It's been said the longest and most sensitive nerve in a man's body is the one that runs from his heart to his wallet. There's probably some truth to that. But God, in fact, measures our faithfulness in many ways, but he also measures our faithfulness and usability by our use of finances. Tells us there again in that text, verse 11, says, If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? If God can't trust us, with money, how can he trust us with anything else? It says if he can't be trusted in the lesser things, how can he be trusted with true riches? Verse 13 of that same text also says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. Not only does our faithfulness and usability depend upon our attitudes toward money, but our very salvation depends upon our attitude toward those things and towards possessions. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through 
with many sorrows. That verse has often been misquoted to say money is the root of all evil. That is not true. God's Word doesn't validate that. It says the love of money or the attitude towards money or material possessions. Some would say money is a necessary evil. Well, I don't even know if it's evil. Money is amoral. It's neither good nor bad. But our attitude towards money and the things God gives us and our finances are very important to God and how we handle it. And God's Word gives us some very specific instructions in those areas. The handling of money and financial stewardship is a dominant theme throughout the Word of God. There's over 450 separate passages concerning the proper handling of finances. 16 of Jesus' 38 parables mention the handling of possessions and money. Scriptures have much to say about money matters because money matters. One aspect we'll look at this morning is the biblical doctrine of tithing. A tithe is 10% or one-tenth of. Biblical tithing is giving 10% of our increase to God. It says to give of our first fruits of our increase, so... Some have wondered, well, does that mean you pay on your gross or on your net? Well, if it's the first fruits, you tithe on what you gross. You give to God, even before Uncle Sam gets his chunk of it. But we give to God first. Tithing is giving out of that which God gives to us. And we see tithing first being established in God's Word, clear back in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 14, verses 8. Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithe of all. This account is the example or the story or the account of Abram. Uh, He had won a great victory. God had allowed him to go pursue his enemies and recapture Lot and his family. They'd been taken hostage. And so Abraham, Abram and his Uh, Armies went out and they rescued Lot and they brought him back safely. And so God gave him this wonderful victory. And as he was coming back to their place of uh, where they were residing, he was met by this Melchizedek. And it says there, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And Abram at that time gave tithe of all. Who's Melchizedek, you might be wondering. Well, he's kind of a mysterious figure. He appears here in Scripture. It says he was a priest of the Most High God. So he was nothing less than a divine messenger sent from God or a divine personage. We know in Hebrews 5.6, it gives us a little bit more of a description. It says he was a priest forever. So that would mean he was without beginning and without ending. So... Melchizedek was a type of, or if not, the Lord himself. But when Abram perceived that it was God 
who had blessed him, at that point, he said he would give God tithe of all. You know, that was a natural response. That sprang out of a heart that was grateful for what God had done. He recognized God had blessed him and given them this victory. It came from a heart that wanted to honor and fear and reverence and remember the God of heaven. This principle of tithing was established in Abram's heart long before it was ever established in the law of Moses. Many hundreds of years later, he realized he owed something to God. So that's where we see tithing being first established in God's word. Then you turn over again to the book of Genesis, chapter 28, verses 20 through 22. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and I will give and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. And we have the account of Jacob. He was running for his life. He had stolen the birthright from his brother Esau. And he was heading to his uncle Laban's house, trying to escape the wrath of his brother. But on the way, we know God met him in a dream, and he appeared to him in a dream. And in this dream, he promised Jacob that he would bless him and prosper him and give him lands and one day bring him back safely to his home. So we see again, this was the response from Jacob's heart, telling the Lord, Lord, if you'll do these things, I'll give you a tenth of everything that I possess. This again came from a heart of gratitude. He felt an obligation and a responsibility to give something back to God. You know, God didn't need a tithe from Jacob. Jacob needed a blessing from God. And he recognized that it was God who had given him these blessings. So uh, from his heart, he vowed a vow. He said, Lord, if you'll do these things, I'll give you a tenth of everything I possess. See, the law of tithing was established in his heart, again, 400 years before it was ever instructed or instituted and handed down to the children of Israel. That principle of giving out of that which God had given was in his heart. And we do see 400 years after this account here, God himself establishing the tithe as part of the commandments that he gave to the children of Israel. If you turn to Leviticus Chapter 27, we'll look at verse 30. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Verse 32, it says, And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the raw, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. This was the law that was established for the children of Israel. It tells us very clearly and very plainly, it's speaking of the tithe, it says, it is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Giving tithe is not a cost to us. It costs us nothing. It is a blessing God does not view tithing as giving. That is something separate. We see that here. 
Tithing is not something extraordinary going beyond what God requires. It's giving or rendering under God what he says is already his in the first place. That's why Malachi said he referred to it as withholding the tithe. It was like robbing God, refusing or failing to give unto God what he said belonged to him. You know, some have said, well, can't afford to pay tithe. Well, I would suggest you can't afford to not pay tithe. Nobody wants to stand before the Lord with that indictment over their head of robbing God. We don't want that. We want God's blessing. And again, God said the tithe is mine. It's not ours to hold on to or to decide what we do with it. That's automatically God's. It belongs to God. It is the Lord's and it's holy unto the Lord. This tithing should be really for a child of God. Any It should just be a basic fundamental principle. It's not ours to hold on to. It belongs to the Lord. You know, there is no substitute for the tithe. Some will think, well, maybe I can give of my time or my talents, or maybe I can help out in some area of ministry. That's an offering unto the Lord. And that is commanded, but tithing is commanded. That is above and beyond what God says is belongs to him. You can't replace what God says is his by trying to offer him something else. So we know tithing belongs to God. It is God's. We know tithing is for a specific purpose. The Word of God tells us it is the cornerstone for supporting the Lord's work. Numbers 18, verse 21. And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance for their service, which they serve even for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Your tithe supports the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. You know, when we come here, we appreciate the fact that the lights are on. I appreciate running water. I'm glad the toilets work. I'm glad the plumbing is functional. I'm thankful in the summer we have air conditioning, especially a few weeks ago. I'm thankful in the winter that we have heat. You know, we appreciate the events and the programs that this church puts on throughout the year. You know, the literature that is sent out free of charge all over the world to people who desperately need the Word of God. The webcasts that uh, people enjoy that are shut in or maybe in remote areas and they can't get out. And that uh, is a source of ministry that ministers to their hearts. All of these things are services that are possible because of the tithe of God's faithful people. What would happen if we all just showed up, come to God's house, blessed, were fed, and we were just consumers, and no one ever gave of what the Lord required of them? We'd probably have to close the doors. But again, the tithe was specifically set up by God as a way of supporting the work of the Lord. Tithing is a way of showing honor unto God. Proverbs 3, Proverbs 3, verse 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the firstfruits of all thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. We have a commandment, but we have a promise. God says, 
honor him with our substance, with the things we have. And when we do that, God will bless us. Tithing is not just an Old Testament principle. Jesus approved and supported the principle of tithing. In Matthew 23, 23, again, Christ's words. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint, of anise, and of cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye have to have done and not to leave the other undone. Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees for not practicing judgment and mercy and faith. Even though they were paying tithe, he said, you should do these things, but you also should pay your tithe. We want to get things in the proper order. Tithing isn't an automatic trip to heaven. It won't purchase us our salvation. Sometimes people will even try to substitute tithe for other areas of obedience that the Lord may be requiring of them here. Jesus didn't say the first and greatest commandment was that thou shalt pay tithe. No, Jesus told us what the first greatest commandment was as he was being questioned by a lawyer. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, on these two laws or commandments saying all the laws and the prophets. What Jesus was telling us is you get a good dose of real, genuine, no-so, old-fashioned salvation down in your heart. If you love the Lord with all your heart and you love your neighbors yourself, all of these other commandments, all of these other principles will be a part of your, your life. They'll fall automatically into the life of every Christian. And that principle of tithing will be in the heart of every Christian. Tithing is not a means of salvation, but it is a result of salvation. Again, as we recognize God's blessings in our lives and we give out of the abundance and the substance that God has given unto us. Tithing proves to God our faith and confidence in his word. Again, we go back to go back to that scripture reading in Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says, Bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. The Lord here was putting out a challenge to the children of Israel or God's chosen people. But you know, this is the same promise and challenge that God would no doubt present to each of us. He put out a challenge. He was saying, prove me, try me, put me to the test, see what I will do. Well, he tells us what he would do for them. Again, verse 11 and 12, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. God was saying here, do your small part. Prove me. 
give a tenth and see what I won't do for you in return. You know, we see even in these verses a greater principle at work here. We know obedience to God will always bring the blessings of God. And we also know failure to obey, obey him will bring a curse. In that same chapter, verse 9, he said, You are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. The children of Israel were living in deplorable conditions. They were suffering from blighted crops, physical affliction, oppression from their enemies. You know what? It wasn't because God had failed them. It was because they had failed God. But God provided them with a remedy. That's the same remedy God provides today. It says, bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse. Bring everything and anything to God that he requires. Come in faith. You come in obedience. You know, it took faith for them to put this promise into practice. They hadn't seen anything good happen. They were suffering, and it was a result of their sin. And, uh, you know, they could have thought, well, once we're prospering and doing great, then we can uh, do what God requires. No, give God what he requires first. Then God will open the windows of heaven and he'll pour out a blessing. Bring to God the things he requires. In every area of our lives, not just our finances, maybe there's a consecration or something God is drawing out of your heart. Bring it to the Lord. Bring it to God's storehouse. Give it to God and see what he'll do with it and for you. Become in faith and obedience. And again, throughout Scripture, we know that it's obedience that brings the victory. You know, the greatest proof of our love to the Lord is in our willingness to obey. It tells us, if you love me, keep my commandments. To obey is better than sacrifice. Jesus asked his disciples, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and not do that which I say? So again, we know obedience will bring the blessing of the Lord. If we want the blessing of God in our lives, we must obey the Lord in every area. You know, when he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that is what we must do. We know tithing is a commandment. Giving is also mentioned in God's word. Deuteronomy 16 says, Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord thy God, which he hath given thee. You know, Scripture doesn't give a prescribed percentage or amount of what we give beyond the tithe. But we do know one thing. You can't outgive the Lord. The Lord is the giver of all good things. He's the giver of life. You can't outgive God as he lays it on your heart. Tell us in Luke, given it shall be given. You press down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with what measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. You can be stingy with God. You may not get much back, but the more you give, and I'm not just speaking about finances, every area of your life, your time, your energy, your commitment to the Lord, your talents, God will bless you in return. In Acts, we read about the early Christians who gave of their substance to God. It said they enjoyed gladness, 
singleness of heart and favor with all the people. Sounds like a pretty good way to live. You know, in closing, I'll share a little story about a man by the name of R.G. Letourneau. He was a businessman back in the 30s and 40s, and he would refer to himself as God's businessman. He was a Christian man. He loved the Lord. He tried to put God first in everything. He actually invented the big earth-moving equipment that we even see much of it today. I think he had sold patents to Caterpillar and John Deere, and he he invented this huge earth-moving equipment, and he tried to honor God, and God just continued to bless him. He had um, he had made a, a huge, great deal of of money for his company, and and he was trying to honor the Lord. It said even in the in World War II, it said that his company provided. 70% of all of the earth-moving equipment that was used at the time. So he amassed quite a fortune, but he, he wanted to honor God, and he felt like the Lord was asking him to give more. And his wife felt the same way, and in 1935, she came to him with this radical idea, and she said, why don't we stop giving God 10%? Why don't we give him 90%? And we'll live on the 10% that's left. Of course, this drove their bookkeepers crazy, but he determined to do it. And he was had a famous quote he was known as saying, it's not how much of my money I give to God, but it's how much of God's money I keep for myself. But you know, the Lord continued to bless him and prosper him. Their commitment and service to the Lord affected thousands and thousands of lives. And God blessed him. He died with plenty and he died with the joy of heaven down his heart. He, he realized the secret of true living was in giving, giving unto the Lord. Well, obviously this is an appeal for you to give 90% of your income, nothing like that. But there's one thing we want to give 100% of, and that's our hearts and our lives to the Lord. When you consecrate your life to the Lord, you give everything to God. God will bless you for it. If we want God's blessing... We must obey Him. God can bless you today. If you're here and you're unsaved, I would encourage you, just come and surrender your life to the Lord. Give Him everything. Don't hold anything back. And God will bless you in abundance. Whatever area of your life the Lord may be dealing with you about, prove God. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. Give Him what He requires. Prove God and see if He won't pour out a blessing upon you that you can't contain. God can do it. He will do it today. Let's sing 602. These altars are open.